This is the home of the mommy bloggers. The mommy bloggers are like the smarter than average moms that come up with these weird theories like letting your kids suck on their feet instead of pulling them out of their mouth because that introduces germs into their system. But that also happens to be true other than just really weird. And so we grow up with better immune systems in Utah and hence... We're immune to these viruses, but we carry them. And so when people like you come around, we give you like the one day flu because we're carrying it and we're okay with it, but you're not. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, be most of this episode is sponsored by Pier 60 Incorporated. Pier 60 Incorporated knows that the best JavaScript developers hone their skills by listening to JavaScript Jabber podcast. If you're looking for a front-end or full-stack development opportunity helping Fortune 100 companies understand their customers better, email jobs at pier60.com. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 95 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. AJ O'Neill. Coming at you live from the same place I always come from you live. Joe Eames. Hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I've never sucked on my foot. And we also have a special guest, and that is Dean Sofer. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? So, Dean, since you haven't been on the show before, you want to introduce yourself? My name is Dean Sofer. As you mentioned, I go by Pro Loser a lot online. And I founded Angular UI pretty early on when AngularJS was in its itty bitty infancy stages. And I used to be big into Cake PHP. And I work for a small startup in Redwood City, California called Paxata, where we deal with big data. And yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> cool. Can you tell me what big data means? I would love it if I knew what that meant too, but a large, large, like multi hundreds of thousands or millions of rows and records and Paxata is like a data preparation company. So if you need to kind of run a report or analytics across a bunch of different departments and nobody really keeps track of that stuff properly, we kind of automatically figure it out and mash it all together and let you run reports. Uh, so that would have taken six months and we do it in like 15 minutes. But I tend to be more focused on the tech and the people I'm working with than on the vertical I'm working in. <laughs> I noticed you spoke about big data and you didn't say the words Hadoop. I don't know uh, if that means you lied or, or I've been lied to. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was just at Strata Conference where it was a giant Hadoop booth and stuff. I honestly, I kind of space out when we start talking about big data stuff. I'm <laughs> to, like, we're trying to make our software like usable for like consumers and non-tech people. So, which is kind of cool because you don't see that in big data or like business to business companies very often. So I get a good amount of entertainment from trying to build the interface in an intuitive way and not spending all my time focusing on the what the back end or the other guys are usually dealing with. That's cool. So I'm a little curious before we get started talking about what Angular UI is. Are you, what's your relationship to it? Are you the guy? Are you one of the guys? So I think of myself as like a chairman of the organization. 
when Angular first popped up, a bunch of people were like, check out my date picker widget I made, and everybody was doing it. And I have this general personal policy, like forking is only useful if it leads to merging. So uh, I wanted to get all these redundant efforts put together. And I hit up a bunch of people and created an org. So the original team was like Dan, Doyen, Peter, Bacon, Darwin, which is the greatest name in open source history. And uh, <laughs> Pavel and a few other people. I apologize if I'm forgetting your names. And uh, we all had like pretty prominent projects and we put them together and we wanted to be like two jQuery. We wanted to be to Angular what jQuery UI was to jQuery. But uh, I lately I try and keep an eye on all the projects, make sure they're moving along. I try to make sure projects don't die out or uh, if people are like want to take over things like that. Or I'll do a lot of kind of consulting internally, review the code or architecture and give advice and input in addition to the few widgets or projects I myself personally created. And occasionally I'll dig into other people's projects and help them push things along. But uh, lately I've been mostly focused on my Pax Auto work, so I haven't had as much time to do that. You get burned out when you work in open source as much as I've been doing lately. I spend more time on GitHub than people spend on Facebook. So is there a unifying theme to all of the things that are in Angular UI? Because it seems like it's, do you like apply to join it, kind of like a foundation type of thing? Or is it all stuff you've made? If you I'll give you commit permissions, generally speaking. Um, I mean, there's no formal process. It's just if you are contributing, if you collaborate or are interested in collaborating, uh, I'll open it up. I tend to also ascribe to the ask for forgiveness rather than permission. This is Git. If somebody blows away everything, I can just push. So if people express interest and they have like two good pull requests and shows they can actually, it's not a fluke that they can push good code and they're interested in maintaining it, I'll give them access. And I was one of the early proponents to get Angular out of Google and more into the hands of the community because they were getting bottlenecked and overloaded with like documentation help requests. And we tried to offload some of that work. But as for like main focus of Angular UI, our projects are all over the place. We've got Bootstrap, we've got utilities, we've got a router. I mostly try and make Angular UI as like a community organization that to bring people together and get them to work together. So Angular router, which I know you guys actually name dropped in a previous post, that was started because people kept asking me for a recommendation for a nesting router. And there were like a few blog posts and a few libraries. And I uh, pretty much couldn't stand behind any of them because I didn't use them all. So I created a new repo and created an issue thread and pinged everybody who created a project or written a blog post and pulled them all together and pretty much locked them in a room and said, come up with a solution everybody agrees to, and we'll make that the official Angular UI and kind of using our own backing to kind of push their project forward and helping them out when we can. So God or deity of your choice, bless you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's a lot of people like Pete and Powell are really big in the project. They actually got into the Angular core project from their, I feel like the recognition and their work that started off in Angular UI. And a lot of the people who like started off helping us ended up getting into them. And some of our widgets actually got indoctrinated into the core of Angular. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, sweet. If your widget gets indoctrinated into the core of Angular, do you take it out of Angular UI? Yes. Also, because... um it's just so much work and not enough time. Like, I wish we could have a more official release schedule. And one of my personal early dreams was, like, to get Google to, like, pay me to keep working on Angular UI full-time <sighs> and all nice. of our related projects. But so by by saying that, I mean, like, I don't make it 
we're, we're not doing proper regression checking or prevention. So like a lot of our stuff is unstable and you got to bear with us because we just have no time. But yeah, so NGIF in Angular used to be in our library. And when it started showing up in their code, we took it out because they were able to keep it bug free and more up to date than we are. And even though it was on like a prototype branch, we knew it was going to go into the core. So we were like, you know what, you're better off using their version. And it's just a continuation of ours. So yes. <laughs> so is that like the rapture? Like you die and get sent up to Angular Heaven? And your stuff gets sent into Angular Core? Uh, it's pretty cool. It's weird. Like I've always been a subversive individual. If a manager doesn't like something or I'll just go create a prototype and show it to them. And it's a lot harder for the people to say no to something they can see and play with. So if we want something in Angular or if we want to like see the Angular team or the framework do something, I can just go build it in Angular UI and enough people will. I didn't even request it to be in the core. I did initially, but other people just kind of pushed it and they realized it brought in features that we're fairly core, but uh, as far as like, I don't know, it, it's very cool. Yes, it's it's nice to get that recognition. But the conferences like showed that this is just there's so many more people than just Angular UI, and uh, we tend to assimilate like the Borg. Can you that talk about? Good. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just said that. that's good. That's all. <laughs> so I have more experience with Ember than with Angular, and I've used Angular Router, ng Router. You can tell how familiar I am with it. I've used ng Router once, and it felt a lot like you guys were influenced by the Ember Router. Is that the case, or did you just yes. arrive at similar looking designs? If you're curious about the design discussion, like you should go to the UI Router project and check out, look up issue number one, and that's the entire discussion thread that I pretty much brought everybody into. And um, yeah, a lot of influence was taken from Ember. We were trying to, we had all these things like, what are we trying to accomplish? And what are the features we want to have? And some people were talking about, should it be backwards compatible? Or should it be similar API? And the cool thing is who Nate Abel, I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong, as I usually do. He's currently maintaining the router and he used to be really big in cake php and now he's really big in um, lithium which is another php framework and i believe he rewrote the router for cake php and i'm sure he had a lot of work done on lithium so it was very cool to have him working on the router now and so he's just kind of indoctrinated all of his experience too to help keep future iterations of ui router moving forward so but yeah ember's got a lot of influence in there (laughs) So one thing that I'm curious about is how much work do you have to do to just keep up to date with the latest version of Angular? I personally don't even bother. (laughs) They're pushing releases every week now. Like if it was bad enough before when we barely had time to maintain our projects, keeping up with a weekly release schedule is like... They say they don't have regressions, but they have occasionally had small pockets here and there. And uh, I don't know, each project kind of gets run a little bit differently. I give people recommendations and kind of suggestions on how we'd like things to see and we try and share utilities, but everybody does things their own way. So different projects maintain a different degree of uh, compatibility. It's not very exact. We need more help. (laughs) Even though we have 40 members, we need more help. Well, the good news is that you found all the mistakes in Ember and perfected them in Angular, so we know that that's the superior platform, despite its few regression. <laughs> yes, Angular, nice, AJ, Angular nice. is better than all other frameworks. And if you go to to-do MVC and count the number of lines of code, that will be the, <laughs> the truth. That's actually what customers do before they spend money on your stuff, right? Count the number of lines of code we yeah. use. Yes, actually, that's like 
one of the main bullets on the homepage. <laughs> Least number 12 lines of code. It's all HTML. <laughs> uh, it's actually so, really cool okay. working with Bootstrap and Angular UI and Angular. You can prototype, and the router, you can prototype ridiculously fast without having almost any JavaScript. So question, when is Bootstrap 3 going to officially make it, or did it already and I missed it? It landed, yes. Bootstrap 3, a lot of people have been complaining about Bootstrap because it slowed down. What happened is Pavel, who's been one of the main guys pushing to that repo, he got married recently. or Awesome for him. Couple, couple months ago, so it kind of died down in activity, but I checked on it, and he's still pushing a couple days you know, up to the last week, so as long as things don't go six months without activity. So he's chugging away, and they, they got a, that project's got a lot of popularity, but not only is it Bootstrap 3 compatible, it's also uh, the latest version of Angular compatible. Their most recent release got that in there, and there's still small pockets of uh, edge cases people are complaining about that they're trying to deal with, and it's like architecture and design concerns, like what's the right way to go about doing things. But now, if I just go to the GitHub page and I download the latest release, I get the release that's Bootstrap 3 compatible, not the Bootstrap 2 yes. compatible one? I believe it's officially, like the last two releases, I think, have been Bootstrap 3, because the most recent one was an Angular compatibility release. Okay, because last time I used it, I ended up just doing the little build process, which turned out to be really, really simple. It's just the one line of, like, how to build it was buried in the documentation. Took me forever to figure it out. Yeah. The weird thing is, I don't, I use half of the widgets in there, and half of them I just wire up myself manually, because it's, Angular takes so little effort to make a pop-up or an overlay or something. So, Right. Are you a CSS master? I'd like to think so, yes. I wrote a Flexbox library before it was like anybody else was using it. And so I like to think of myself as one, kind of. Awesome. I'm not, so I admire people like you. I'm just trying to understand the point of that question, AJ. <laughs> I thought you well, had like a follow-up. No, no, it's because it's because he says he's like it just takes so little effort in Angular to make a pop-up or to make this or that, and I'm thinking like that has nothing to do with Angular. That's all CSS. No, it, if you're using Bootstrap, say you've got Bootstrap and you're using that for prototyping, since it has a lot of great scaffolding. I didn't like it at first because I felt like everybody was bandwagoning it, like WordPress, but it's actually pretty solid. Yeah, uh, but it makes it easy for people that can't understand CSS like me to be able to have like a hope of making a box that's square because <laughs> well, mine always came out crooked before with bootstrap like it's just class toggling and class toggling in angular is so easy that if you want to pop up you just throw the html on the page and you have this button trigger this variable that's like a true false flag and that turns on a class and that's all it takes so it's pretty much using Bootstrap without their JavaScript file is really easy because of how Angular works. So right. I don't even touch the CSS to do those sorts of things. Right. Interesting. So, so when you're doing stuff, do you do that a lot? Do you just grab Bootstrap, completely ignore its JavaScript, and have Angular handle all of what Bootstrap's JavaScript would do? So the Angular UI Bootstrap project was specifically based on the fact that they wanted to drop the jQuery and the bootstrap JavaScript dependency because it takes a lot less code to do the same thing with because with Angular. So the whole lot, if you use the Angular UI bootstrap, then you don't need any of the bootstrap JavaScript. 
And it's just occasionally when that library has weird bugs or I just don't feel like wiring it up in a way they did, I'll just put the HTML on the page and toggle some classes in my own code. Gotcha. So is now a good time then to talk about Angular Strap? Uh, Angular Strap. That is a little bit of a contentious topic. <laughs> it's never a good time to talk about Angular Strap because all you do is confuse people and lead them away from the truth and light, which is Angular UI. <laughs> so I if like to hear Jameson more. brought up Ember. I think anything's uh, fair game here. Angular Strap is the opposite direction, and it's been con- I've been known to not be super polite in regards to that. Everybody in the Angular UI org, or else they will be kicked from... No. Uh, <laughs> everybody in the organization recommends our solution. Simple example as to why is because if you open up like their alert.js and our alert.js, and we've got like 10 lines of code and they've got like 200 lines, they're wrapping the bootstrap JavaScript. So Angular Strap is another library that got really popular really quickly because he was just wrapping direct, uh, wrapping already created plugins. And to wrap jQuery plugin is really simple. It takes very little time. So he could push out new updates and patches all the time. Whereas we were kind of re-implementing from scratch, but uh, we spent a lot of time working on the code and we didn't even think about like posting on Twitter or Google Plus and advertising. We spent zero time marketing our stuff. And uh, nowadays it's like, we kind of generally want people to use our solution because it's since there's less code to deal with, if you need to fix it or hack it or work with it, it's a lot less for you to dig through. And uh, yeah, <laughs> right. But it's an alternative direction you want to go in. Just remember, if you go with Angular Strap, you're now loading up Angular Library, jQuery Library, Bootstrap JavaScript, and the Angular Strap JavaScript. And um, way back before I liked Bootstrap, I actually didn't recommend either solution. I didn't really agree with having a Bootstrap because if somebody asked for a Bootstrap Angular Library in Angular UI, then we'd have to do a foundation one, and then we'd have to do this one and that one. It was like, where do you put the end? <laughs> where do you put the limit? But Right. Since if I got to choose between the two, it's all the way. We tell people go with Angular UI's version and just collaborate. Also, we're on an org. We tried to actually get him to join our project. As I do with all my projects, I went to him. I said, hey, you got some awesome tools and you're getting some notoriety. Would you be interested in merging efforts and we can like help each other? And the general reception the unspoken thing was I got the finger and he was like, you know, just help me with fix my problems. If you're noticing problems, I'm like, I'm already busy fixing our own. And we have a non-individualistic organization where anybody can kind of step up to the plate. We kind of don't want to have this under one person's namespace. Right. Can you talk a little bit more about that organization? You already mentioned it a little bit, but the more you talk about it, I feel like there are some different things about it than, than how traditional open source things are run. So we're unofficial. I don't know how normal organizations are run. We're not really run. We're like, if you volunteer and put in the effort, you get commit access. It's mostly like, I personally just try to make sure nothing falls apart. I actually yesterday was in a NG grid meeting, which was being run by somebody who was really liked NG grid, but the original team kind of become really busy because they changed their jobs. And so he organized the meeting and he just invited me to kind of chime in, but they pushed it themselves. But with all the projects, it's really just, if you ping me or any of the people who have founder permissions, we'll generally be happy to add you to the orgs. I've tried to make sure everybody knows that this isn't my organization. If you want to add people to your team, because they're good help to your team, go ahead and add them. And I don't know, it's it's very much just commit as an individual. And if you break something, it's it's easier for us to fix it than to scare people off from committing in the first place. 
But really uh, cool. it does introduce less stability, and we don't have somebody paying any member to push this stuff forward. So I wish we could get like a more reliable release schedule. If we had something more reliable or some form of income where it's not even the income, it's more like somebody needs to quit their day job and focus on this, then we'd be able to make it a more official capacity type organization. So I wanted to jump back just a second about the Angular strap and Angular UI. So I didn't know all that stuff about the simplicity of the code in Angular UI versus Angular straps wrapping. What I noticed is that as an Angular developer, I don't think there's any way you can get away from using components of Angular UI. And some of the components in Angular UI are more up to date, I think. And... If you can't use both Angular Strap and Angular UI Bootstrap. Like, so if you have to pick one, it makes more sense to pick Angular UI because you already have to use other stuff in that namespace that takes up names in that namespace. If you try to add Angular Strap, then you have modules of the same name that conflict with different APIs. I don't know about that. I actually believe if you choose not to use Angular UI Bootstrap, but you want to use like the router and things like that, you shouldn't have any conflicts but it's not an official statement and we're not going to make any effort to be compatible with his library. But uh, you should be able to swap out our bootstrap library for the Angular strap one and use everything else unless the I, Angular I strap... The issue is like you have a couple more things that work as expected in Angular UI bootstrap and the Angular strap one has a different API, but the same names. Like alert is called alert and modal is called modal and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you definitely can't use them both at the same time. Yeah, and I just ran into some issue where I started using the one. And it's, it's, I don't know, to me, it just makes more sense to pick, since you have to use Angular UI stuff anyway, and you have to be in that community anyway, it made sense to stick with that one because you can't have both. You have to pick one or the other for the bootstrap stuff. And from my experience, the Angular UI bootstrap seemed to be working better when when I was playing with it. You really shouldn't have a need to use both. If you're looking for, he's changed his feature set a lot. And one thing uh, I personally tried to tell most of the teams, it's cool. One thing I like about having such a huge org is that I actually get to use GitHub Teams for the first time. So we have a UI team, a bootstrap team, and a router team. Anyways, I told them, try to focus on preventing scope creep. When you're working in open source, you get burned out a lot. So do not just fill in features just because people ask for them. Fill them in because they make sense. They're relevant to the project. So one of the things I didn't like about Angular Strap, and I actually mentioned it when I talked about him joining efforts, was he was adding things that weren't in Bootstrap, like a pagination utility and stuff like that. And I, my major point was that, you know, people who don't use Bootstrap use pagination, and it's just a little bit of CSS and HTML, but the rich part is, you know, t- working with arrays and splicing and iterating and keeping track of all this stuff. So why don't you do this in a framework agnostic solution, and then anybody can hook into it, and then people can have, like, a template that comes packaged with Bootstrap that, if you use that pagination library, it's ready to go and already styled for you. So I know the Angular UI Bootstrap has a few solutions that, for example, it has pagination and a few things which are barely just visual that they implemented as directives. But uh, I find that Angular Strap's got a lot of weird... The selection of directives is kind of random to me. They used to have a date picker and a time picker, and then they removed it. Now we had to bring in a date picker because people were complaining about, that one has a date picker, why don't you guys? And, I, I made know. that issue actually, I think. <laughs> cool! <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm weird. I'm obsessed with like, um, you should always code for the greatest versatility first. So we had UI date picker, UI date. It, it's got problems, but it's, it works great for people, but people want to bootstrap skin one. But a really strong example is, um, Select 2, which is, I'm pretty sure, pretty prominent in the community. And even if you don't work with Angular, you probably heard of the library, which was a version of Chosen. And that is a drop-down type-ahead widget. And it was coded, the Bootstrap team wanted to introduce type-ahead. And we already had the standalone Select 2 widget. And both of them have different styles, but they're both essentially the same thing. And I got annoyed at both because we're wrapping a jQuery plugin and it's the code is such a mess and so broken because I wrote it personally. <laughs> it was like the first thing I wrote that we everybody's been talking, you know, the best thing is to build one from scratch. So we started a new repository. And one guy just took some code I threw up in a gist, and, like didn't even test it. And he started implementing it the way I kind of originally envisioned it to be implemented. And it's HTML, CSS agnostic. So you can just mix and match templates together. And the cool thing is you can switch out a bootstrap theme for a select two theme, but it gives you like the utilities you need to generate a type ahead type widget. And I've been trying to tell the bootstrap team, cut out your type ahead widget and use this one and just skin it. And then other people can mix and match. So the one point I'm kind of getting to is I'd like to see these things not pretty much married to bootstrap because everybody right. can really benefit from them. Build an abstraction that is H2, it's like skin agnostic and then just provide a skin with it. Or if bootstrap comes, if you're packaging bootstrap, be like, Hey, if you use us with that widget, automatically we have a theme ready for you to go and it's just that much nicer. And people don't realize you can do layering of directives and apply multiple different things onto the same widgets and kind of add on visual well, layers. Those are kind of new concepts that didn't really exist before. So even though they're kind of simple, they're still a little bit further away from like what I'm used to because it's kind of something maybe I've always dreamed of but never really thought about how it would be implemented or how it would actually work. It's definitely like, I know it's been around for a while. It's just even I personally, like we're all kind of learning Angular. The whole community was. And that's why like we got the Angular team, for example. Yeah. They don't even talk about layering. And it's, I actually wanted to give a talk about it on how different ways to extend or layer on directives together and trying to modularize everything. But um, yeah, the, the thing is like with the select two example, if you look at the bootstrap library, they got rid of type ahead. And uh, I believe that was a, no a nod to the point I've been making, which is the whole select two, which it, the whole type ahead feature is such a large font feature that it is a project in of itself. You can't just make it a part of a suite. And the bootstrap type ahead has now been separated into a separate library. And so I'm trying to push my bootstrap team to remove theirs and instead come up with an Angular UI uh, version that they just skin. But uh, yeah, they I do their own that, thing. That type ahead is like, there are so many different features that you could want so quickly with a type ahead. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed with this is that, you know, there are a lot of different pieces that, that kind of get uh, lumped into Angular UI. And when I looked at it initially, I was like, so is this kind of like jQuery UI? Except with jQuery UI, it seems like you can just pull everything in in one jQuery UI minified JavaScript file. Is it kind of the same approach with Angular UI? Because it seems like you have such a varied set of tools here that I don't know if it makes sense to put it all into one library. It started off that way. When it first started, it was going to be like a one-to-one -one of Angular UI to Angular with jQuery UI to jQuery. Uh, and so much so that you can check out one of our old projects. It's still under the org. It says old repo at the end. 
And it used to be all these different widgets merged together, but then modules came out and people didn't want a Google Maps widget. They didn't want a date picker widget. And it was a large amount of overhead of code that you really didn't need. And our build system, which I've never been happy with the build system for front end frameworks and libraries since day one, and I'm still not happy with any of the solutions we have in place now. It's very, we had a hard time trying to get a good build system where you could mod, like using components, pick which ones you want and get some nice compiled build. But we realized it's just getting too big and people want the individual components. So why don't we break it apart into multiple projects? And because the issue tracker became one giant, enormous issue tracker. So when that happened, I broke down the organization into teams and yeah, they all run independently and it does not make sense to run it all together. We used to be that way and, and things kind of started to happen where it used to be, I work on UI utils, which I think does, it's kind of like a very underrated project. It's a bunch of utility, like, I feel like everybody who installs Angular needs utils more so than bootstrap or using all three together. It's just a bunch of like small features that really should be in the core, but aren't. And then there's things like a date picker and a type ahead. And those are like widgets and third party plugins and that you may or may not want. And so we still have like a small suite of simple utilities. And then we have individual widgets or widget wrappers. And then we have the bootstrap suite. And then you have the router, which doesn't fall into anything. And I've tried starting an organization for a community project and a aliasing project, which is a, it handles how you pretty much compile your application. But <laughs> yeah. So you said that you don't really like any of the build tools that are out there. I've used the Yeoman strap or whatever they call it, the Yeoman Angular tool. I don't think that it's perfect, but it seems to be pretty simple in terms of, you know, there's a, a special comment section where you put all your script tags. There's a special end comment and then you run it in dev mode and everything's easy to debug. And then you run it in production mode and you turn off the minifier and it'll work. I need to clarify by build tool. I'm not talking about like building my app. I'm talking about a redistributed library, like for Bootstrap. If you look at the Angular project is a perfect example. They've got the Angular source repository, and then they've got like 20 Bower repositories, which are just build files. And yeah. I hate that. It drives me nuts. And I don't like the, how Bower works. That's just how you have to distribute your code. So Because Bower like, is super agnostic and doesn't really take any opinions or provide any sort of like help. It's all about, I've been taught, there's been lots of discussions, even the Angular core team, and I've chimed in several times, and, and it's, you know, it's how Git works, it's how these package manager managers work, but redistribution of libraries I don't think is done very elegantly. For instance, say I check out, like, a date picker widget, and I Bower install it, and I have maybe the build distribution files, but there's a problem with this library and maybe I'm savvy enough to actually dig into it. So I want to switch to the source code version. So I'd like to be able to do like Bower checkout source or just Git, well, probably Bower checkout source. And then I can poke around the code and then maybe hopefully it's identical to the Git repo and I can just Git push the code back to the, the source project. But you can't do that because you're on a Bower module that's distribution friendly only it only has six files and it has to do with how like projects are tagged so and i also didn't like that personally i hate that you have to have the entire dev set up on your machine in order to push a new release and that might seem kind of silly but when i was really mobile or when it's a really 
asynchronous, multi-collaborative project, like eight other people would push features and bug fixes, or I just use GitHub to merge in pull requests and all the tests would pass. Now I have to push a new release and I'm like at a conference and somebody's nagging me. Instead of having to spin up everything and make sure all the dependencies are run, I wanted to be able to just push a Git tag and then everything just pushes a new release itself. Like everything should be a hook attached to a Git tag. So one guy named Douglas Dutail, uh, I think, he's been working in Angular UI and his main focus has primarily been build solutions. And he's, every single time I suggest something, he like builds it. It's awesome. And he came up with this solution that I discussed with him where if you commit and you tag and it builds on Travis, Travis will actually have permissions to commit the build files back into your repository. So if you just push a tag onto GitHub or if you tag it through the GitHub interface, that will trigger a build and the build will trigger a release. And you don't have to have all the dependencies or everything on your local machine. So I can do it from anywhere. And it's all associated and hooked tags. So one of my suggestions was, what if we had source tags and distribution tags tackle this whole problem of being able to play with the distribution code on your Bower Reap module or the source code? And since Bower is all about tags, I thought, what if we had a series of distribution tags? And he got the Travis script to do that. And I actually thought, you know, the best package distribution system isn't Bower the way it is now because Bower just looks at your Git tree. I thought the coolest distribution system would be Travis. What if you pushed your code to your distribution center, which was like the Travis, because you're already putting in the scripts and the configuration to build your whole library. So you're already bothering with that much effort. It knows how to create a distribution file. And then Travis would see all the tests pass and everything. And then it would keep the distribution files. And since that's a tag, people would just ping Travis. So the point is, like, with Bower, you can only make available code that's versioned in your history. But with Travis, you can make code that isn't versioned, and it's snapshots. NPM uses snapshots, like it copies files that aren't versioned by Git. But with Travis, you don't have to have the snapshots on your local machine or don't have to hold the, have the whole build process on your local machine. Just Travis builds for you, creates snapshots, and distributes the snapshots and deals with caching and management like that. Sorry, it's a long... I have a lot of random concepts I've been watching. No, this is really cool. I, I like listening to your rant so far. <laughs> so that's my solution. I proposed it, and uh, or is one of the big JavaScript guys. I forget his name. He was like, yeah, this sounds like too much work, so if you want to implement it, go ahead. But uh, I think that would be the cool future, like merging Bower and Travis together. That's the build solution I want. You know, it kind of makes that's sense because cool. there's a history of building apps in a CI server and then distributing them that way. So I could totally see you doing the same thing with libraries. It just doesn't make sense to version build files, like, you know, minified files or because when you work locally and you minify your CSS or your JavaScript and another coworker minifies it, and if you're committing those files and you're working on two branches and you go to merge the branches together, even though there's no conflicts in the source, there's always conflicts in the minified version. And it, it just, I don't like the idea of adding distribution code to a Git repo. Like it should stay out of Git, but the source I code should stay in way. Git. So. <laughs> cool. I got a question for you, Dean. For the Angular UI components, what are the ones that you feel like are the real winners out of the list? Well, after I stopped hating on Bootstrap, I'm talking about the original Twitter library, and realized you can scaffold really fast with it, and since Angular lets you scaffold fast, like Angular UI Bootstrap is just the awesome glue. 
So that one's definitely cool. And we actually built it because originally we were saying, no, 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 we're not going to build it. And then the core team came to us. They're like, look, we've got coworkers here at Google who are saying you need to build a bootstrap suite. So we're like, fine. <laughs> we relented. So that one's awesome. I've actually recently refactored my entire application and I gave a talk about my refactor. I kind of snuck in a talk at the conference at the very end. But if you look for AngularJS ORM and it's about the refactor I did. I realized that UI router is actually a hundred times more powerful than any other thing we've got going on. So Bootstrap's cool, but UI router is the bomb. And, and, and you have to use UI router if you're using Angular. Like I just don't see how you could get any way around it. Yeah, there's really, no equivalent. You shouldn't tool. you shouldn't be using unless you're building a super simple prototype or f- static or flat application. You need UI router for scalability. If you plan on doing any scaling and application structure, you need to be on UI router. If you check out my talk, I talk about some lesser known ways to wield it so you can actually have very modular dependency thing. UI router is so cool that another thing I want to see in the future, and I mentioned this at my talk and I was talking to the team, I don't think anybody realizes in um, in CakePHP, you can package You're routes. You're right, nobody realizes that. <laughs> you can package routes into plugins. So you'd have like the M, the model layer, the view layer, the controller layer, and widgets and components and things like that. You could all package into one plugin, but you could also package route definitions. And it made it cool because you have an entire branch of your application you could break off and distribute to other people or reattach this branch to multiple sections of your application. So, so you're saying like a component that is both backend and front-end code? Well, no. So what I'm saying is if people... My, in my talk, you can take your route definition and most people put this in the main applications bootstrap. If you distribute your route definitions across your modules and you do proper module breakdown, people module breakdown, like as the MVC, they'll do a service module and a model module and a view module or controller module and directed module. It doesn't make any sense because if you tear out one of those modules, the whole application falls on its face. But if you do it feature-based, like this is the user module and the project module and the administration module, then you can tear out users and you still have projects and the ability to administer projects. So one thing I talked about is if you distribute your routes using UI router into a module, so all your user-related routes are in the user module and the project-related routes are in the project module, you take it one step further, UI router has path relative in addition to path absolute routes and route traversal, which means like it can say use the dot representing the current folder or current little path and go deeper or go shallower, go up and down. And if you think about it this way, you can create an administrative module with it's just dot slash edit or dot slash admin. And then you would take this module with these path relative route definitions and you attach this module to your user module and your project module. And now all of a sudden I have one module that allows me to do administration across all my other modules and it contains the routes for the sub routes for administration inside of there. And so I thought it's like a really awesome potential for redistribution and like, I don't even think in other situations you get a lot of reusable code in that way that people just kind of have this administration thing that's super implementation agnostic and you just plug it in in multiple places. So hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) In my head, it makes sense. I, I think it mostly makes sense. I would love to see like a little demo app where you demonstrate the separation and, and how it could be distributed. 
Yeah, uh, check out my talk. Hopefully, it expands on it uh, and the slides that go with it. But the main thing was like you can append routes to other modules. And <laughs> sorry, I'm just reiterating. But yeah, cool. Well, hopefully, we can get some of that in the show notes. Those links. All right. So one thing that I'm kind of wondering about this is you keep bringing up uh, the time and money issue. Have you thought about joining one of the software foundations out there or something like that and seeing if you can actually get some uh, monetary or otherwise support for this? Uh, I didn't know I can join a foundation. <laughs> I didn't realize they're, like, paying people. Not all I of also, them do. I was just curious if you would, you know. It has been brought up before, like, where should, like, people have offered to donate or the, I, I mean, the idea is always thrown up, thrown a Kickstarter or something to pay the organization. But the problem is, I tell people it's appreciated sentiment, but I, I don't, you don't need to donate or at least donate to the people who are working on the project. Cause I personally am not super involved at the low level anymore. But the thing is, it's really time. Like I kind of, if I spent time, you know, collecting donations by having like a telephone <laughs> TV show entertainment hour and then going and coding for the rest of the week. But everybody works for a full-time job, and it's freelancers, I think, and consultants that tend to have more free time, and I no longer do that personally. So I don't know. It, it's an idea, but unless you can get somebody to step away from their current job to do it, I don't know if it would happen. <laughs> and if it, would I do it personally? I'm I'm on the fence. It's not, <laughs> not something I'm super excited about. <laughs> right. It's nice of you to think that freelancers have more time. <laughs> I was a freelancer before I started working for startups and I just feel like, you know, you have a little bit more freedom to, if you're going to waste a whole day working on an open source project and you can tell the client it's for him and it's not, <laughs> but yeah, I understand how it goes. It's, you guys are probably working 20 hour days instead of 14 hour days. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go, let's go ahead and get into the picks then. Joe, do you want to start us off with the picks? Oh, sure. All right, so I'm going to have two picks today. First pick is a series of novels written by Glenn Cook, who is my absolute favorite author, called The Black Company. And there has not been a new Black Company novel in a long time. It, but these are all written through the 80s and 90s. But they are fantastic novels. It's a fairly long series, sort of military fantasy series. And one of my favorite fantasy series of all time. So... That's going to be my first pick. And then my second and final pick is going to be the TV show White Collar, which is on um, USA Network or TNT. I don't know. The DVR knows. <laughs> and uh, that's a really, really fantastic show uh, about a con artist who's working with the FBI. And um, it's a great show. And we do not have enough awesome shows on TV except for I'm going to actually add one more final pick. Because there's another show that just occurred to me, and that is the BBC show Sherlock, which just had three new episodes come out, which is an amazing show. So we need more TV like that and less uh, real blank of blank shows. Word. <laughs> That's my picks. <laughs> okay. AJ, what are your picks? All right. So I'm also going to pick a TV show. I don't think I picked this before. Chuck is yes. actually kind of... No, the TV show <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. So it's actually kind of a funny show, and I like how, especially in the first couple of seasons, their computer jokes are actually legitimate, almost. Like, not quite as good as Big Bang Theory, where 
Like all of their science and math jokes are completely legitimate, but pretty good. I mean, much better than what you see in, in most other shows. Like when they talk about a hard drive, they're actually talking about like a hard drive, not a fan or a keyboard, you know? And it's, it's kind of a similar maybe to psych meets, I don't know. It's not quite really psychish, but I, I, it's just a cool show and I, I like it. It's about a guy who the one unrealistic element of it, other than all the other unrealistic elements, is that he downloads a CIA program into his brain, and that makes him like a human supercomputer. No biggie, um, though. Yeah. And then the fifth season's terrible so far. The first three episodes are great. The fifth season was like the season where they weren't sure whether or not they were going to do another one, and they should have just stopped and let it be awesome, and then they kept going. So the first three episodes are pretty good, and then the rest of it, probably wouldn't recommend watching it, because your opinion would just tank. Other pick... Also, Sherlock, I guess I'm just into TV this week, and any type of multi-tool, whether it be a Gerber or a Baragorillus or a Leatherman, always got to have a multi-tool. All right, Jameson, what are your picks? So I have two picks. They're both books, and they're both pretty good, and they're going to make me seem really pretentious because neither of them are, like, fun books. One of them is called The Making of the Atomic Bomb, it won the Pulitzer Prize like way before I was born. But it's a, basically about the history of science in Europe and America up from maybe the middle of the 19th century up through the, the end of World War II. And it all centers around the discoveries in, in physics that helped them discover how to make the atomic bomb. Um, and it's pretty amazing. I always kind of thought science classes were boring in school, but they do a really good job of humanizing the characters that, that you the people that you just know of their discovery, like, oh, Einstein, theory of relativity, like, that's all you know about him. And then you read about how he is and how he interacts with people and the, the like, relationships between him and all these other scientists and stuff. I, it's a really good read. It's pretty long, too, though. Um, and my second book is called Thinking in Systems. And it's hard to describe what exactly it's about. It's kind of about how the world is made up of systems that are interconnected and complex and have inputs and outputs and much of the interaction and much of the effects that we observe in the world around us are from these systems that we don't really look at. We just kind of look at the effects. It's kind of trying to help you analyze what's going on underneath to figure out why you see the effects you see. Um, yeah, so there, those are my picks. Awesome. So I've got a few books that I want to pick as well. The first one is, I, I want to point out that I've been reading these on Audible. In other words, I've been listening to them. The first one is called The Millionaire Mind by Thomas Stanley. And it was really interesting for him just to talk through uh, some of the things that he had learned as he talked to millionaires and studied them. And I, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. The other book that I recently read or listened to was The Lean Startup, which also has just been a really positive thing for me. And finally, the last book that I've been reading is called uh, Basic e Economics by Thomas Sowell. And I learned in the first two hours of listening to that book more than I learned in my college economics class. So uh, highly recommend it. It just made sense to me. So anyway, I'm going to pick all of those, and uh, we'll throw it over to Dean. Dean, what are your picks? Uh, my picks. Um, I think I'm going to be weird and be the only one who's actually going to talk about JavaScript. Uh, no. <laughs> <weirdo>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there's this awesome resource called JavaScript Zen Garden or JavaScript Garden, uh, Bonsai Garden, something like that. Uh, I make all new front-end devs, before they even touch JavaScript, read the whole thing. It's really like a GitHub repo uh, that's pretty much formatted like JavaScript, the good parts. It goes into all the weird nuances of the language, and it's an excellent resource for new JavaScript devs dealing with weird bugs and behaviors. And another pick is the network button on GitHub because people don't realize how unbelievably powerful and useful it is to check out other forks of a Git repo. If you check out a project and it looks super dead, six months old, I always tell people to check out the network graph. Just look for the one with the most dots on it, and you might find other people who are actually maintaining a project and took it over because the main guy died. (laughs) Yeah, and those are my two picks, but uh, since this is all books and TV shows, I'm going to mention this. Uh, I'm working on a web show with my friends and we wanted to open source it. So I got a, <laughs> we put that on a Git repo and we were hoping people could help with the screenwriting process. And, uh, I'm just going to mention, ask you guys to put my Goodreads account in my pro, <laughs> on my links instead of just mentioning all the science fiction fantasy books I like to read. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Well, thanks for coming. It's, it's been a really interesting discussion and hopefully folks can pick up some of the, useful things that you guys are working on over there at angular ui and yeah we'll see better web apps because of you only you have the power to prevent crappy web apps <laughs> awesome <laughs> nice. all right well, thanks for listening we'll catch y'all next week don't panic they'll be paid for most of us it won't matter